Hello. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you and I can see you. Okay. Fantastic. How are you? Man, well, if I was any better, I'd be illegal. <laughs> and I say that because anybody's having fun, somebody's trying to make a law against them. So. <laughs> I hear that. You know, anybody, I mean, they're, they're, listen, Samantha, there's, there are a lot of fun haters in this country. And I'm trying to make my way toward fun, but every time I do, somebody's putting a, they're putting a paywall there or they're putting some kind of regulation there, and I just want to have some fun and carry on, but I I, I can't. I got I struggle I got struggle with that. Then all then all I can do is just dream about having fun. There you go, good attitude. See, I see, I tied that in there because it's a sharp mind tied in dream with this because we'd be talking about dreams, one of my favorite subjects, and uh, Samantha Faye. Before we get going, I want you to introduce yourself to the Edge audience that's watching the program. They they send questions in through our chat, which is on the website, and we'll ask you those as we go along. But go ahead and introduce yourself to them, and we'll get going. Sure. So I'm Samantha Fay, and I've written a book called The Awake Dreamer, Lucid Dreaming, Astral Travel, and Mastering the Dreamscape. I also host two podcasts, Psychic Teachers and Enlightened Empaths, and I love to teach people about tuning into their intuition and working with crystals and dreams to just really make your life more fun and enhance our spiritual path. Hmm. Well, all worthy, all worthy goals that I can tell from that uh, is, is uh, w- w- when, when you talk about intuition, it's usually kind of tied to woman's intuition. Now, man, we get hunches, I think. So is, is that the same thing? Yeah, I really think it is. Really what I'm passionate about is kind of destigmatizing that word, you know, and, and helping people not see it as like a flashing neon sign tarot reader inside. I want everyone to understand that we all have this sixth sense and you can call it intuition. You can call it a hunch, a gut feeling. I don't, doesn't matter what label you put on it. We all have that. And I feel that we've all experienced that. You get hunches that later prove true and I'm really passionate about teaching people how to listen to that because I think that's really our soul trying to tell us where to go and what to do in our life. Mm-hmm. So, so are you are you suggesting that we get or messages are being sent, whether or not we we hear them? Are you suggesting that messages are being sent? Yes, yes. I think that we are getting messages all the time. But as you were saying when we started off, it's hard to have fun lately. I think that's because we're all so overworked and stressed out and we're told to just go, go, go and do, do, do. And we're distracted by AirPods in our ears and bosses emailing us and text messages. I think it's very hard to really actually listen to that inner voice that's telling you what you need to be doing. And sometimes we confuse it with fear. We confuse it with those anxiety thoughts. And so that's why I think it's really crucial to start to learn how to remove all those distractions from your life whenever and however you can. And I think dreams is one way that we can do that because sometimes when we're not getting the message during the day, it'll come to us at night when we're sleeping. Mm-hmm. So if are you suggesting that if, if the message comes to us during the day and the noise around us is distracting us away from that message, then we're likely to get the same message again through a dream? If it's something important. Like, for example, I had to go to the DMV a couple of months ago to get that gold star on my license. Have you done that yet? No. We all have to do it by the new year. Did you know that? <laughs> Did not. Maybe I have to, I have to check, though. Is it, is it a little star? 
It's a little star. Yeah. It's yeah, it's called a real driver's license. You have to get verified. Everybody in the so country's I, oh, oh, I got that. I got it. I got it. All right. You're good to go. I've been renewing mine online, so I okay. was not good to go. So I was gathering up like my birth certificate, I don't know, a vial of DNA blood, you know, everything that they need. And I kept hearing in my head, don't forget your checkbook. Don't forget your checkbook. And I was like, who needs a checkbook these days? You know, like nobody pays by check anymore. And so I got in the car and I heard it again, get your checkbook. And I thought, "Uh oh, you're the one who always teaches people how to listen to that little voice. Ran inside, got my checkbook. And when I got there, they said, "Um, do you have a, a cashier's check or a check? That's all we take. I was so surprised and I was glad. Something that's pretty trivial like that would not pop up again in your dreams. You know, don't forget mm-hmm. your checkbook at the mm-hmm. DMV tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But if it's something really, really important, if you're struggling, should I stay in this job? Should I leave this job? Should I stay in this relationship? Or what's blocking me from attracting a relationship? Or if you have a health issue that uh, doctors are having a hard time diagnosing or you're not sure how to deal with, those important messages, if we're not hearing them during the day, will often come to us in a dream. Hmm. So it, that sounds like there's some tenacity behind the sender, like this message has got to get to its intended recipient. And I think it kind of both wells for us if that's the case, but that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I think sometimes those senders can be our guides, our higher self, but I think very often they are our loved ones on the other side who are still watching out for us and hoping that we're doing well and and wanting us to make the best decisions that we can, mm-hmm. you know? Um, do, do messages only come from the good side? Well, I think for the most part they do, but there are a lot of cases. I have a whole chapter in the book on on scary dreams and nightmarish experiences. And, you know, throughout the centuries and ages and across cultures, there have been stories of shadowy-like beings coming to us when we're dreaming of the hag syndrome, where people have that, that image, they wake up and they can't move their body, they're in sleep paralysis. And they all swear that they see this hideous looking um, older woman they call a hag who's sitting Mm -hmm. atop their chest kind of stealing their energy. Mm -hmm. So I do think there are some scary things that can happen. Uh, People like Dion Fortune or Ted Andrews tell a lot of stories of people who are into all sorts of weird negative stuff who can send negative energy to an enemy through the dream state. So it can get really weird. But for the most part, I think that I'd say 99% of the dreams are positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about those folks, and really including myself, that have recurring dreams? Is that because we're refusing the message? It depends. I mean, sometimes we have recurring dreams because it's it's a symbol of something. For example, a really common recurring dream many people have is they're walking through their house and they find a room they didn't know about. And they're looking in the dream. They're like, how could I not know? I had this whole section of the house. And that's a recurring dream that many experience because it's about expanding your consciousness or it's trying to tell you that you're seeking something. Um, I hate to quote Bono here, but you know, you still haven't found what you're looking for. So that can be a common mm-hmm. recurring dream. Some people have had precognitive dreams that recur because they're trying to warn them of something coming up. Okay, so let me let me try this now. We've got this interview. The title of it is, is "Lucid Dreaming." What makes what's the difference between a dream and a lucid dream? 
So a, a regular dream can be where you're just, it's just your brain processing your day and trying to get through some stressors and reprogram some images you've encountered during that day. A lucid dream is when you become awake and aware in the dream state. So that's when you're having a dream and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm dreaming right now. And so it's very fascinating because when people do become lucid in their dreams, they're able to heal a lot of old stuff. They can work on nightmares they've been having or recurring dreams like you were saying. It usually happens to people who are very creative or who tend to be very good meditators or daydreamers who really are using their right brain a lot. Um, and it also is indicative of an expanded consciousness and becoming more awake and aware on your own spiritual path during the day. Mm -hmm. So I try to remember my dreams when I can. And really the only ones that I seem to remember are the ones just before I wake up. But I have to really focus on it before the day's activities just evaporates it, evaporates the thing. But that didn't happen today. So I'm coming tonight here with this interview with a dream which to me, I can't get, I can't, Samantha, I, I can't get the message out of it, okay? And so here it is, okay? So I feel, I feel like I should write LOL here or say it, but so I'm, I'm at like a car quest, an auto parts store, and all the parts are missing off the shelf. And the boss comes in, he wanted to know where all the parts was. Well, either I and some other people must have sent him back. So maybe I worked there or not, but we, I was kind of laying low because I thought, oh man, I got caught sending all these parts back. Okay, so that's kind of that. But then two, two uh, four groups of two people come come in but in this door, but they weren't people. They were people in gorilla outfits. They were clearly in outfits and, and one of them they looked like a, a female and a male. One of them had a little baby gorilla and one of them had a bushy hair and I remember him distinctly saying that gorilla that that ape is his name is Bush, but I I've been you know, they were obviously in a suit. So I can't get a message out of that. It's so bizarre and it's twisted. It doesn't make any sense. So is that a dream that has yet to be interpreted or is it a filler of some sort or is it some jokester putting stuff in the dream just to screw things up? I think it's symbolic. So there's two ways to interpret dreams. You can look at what the standard symbols mean, right? So a car and car, pot, car parts it typically represents our body and the parts that make our body work. And a gorilla represents, believe it or not, gorillas are very family oriented. They're very loyal. They, they kind of tend to travel in family groups. They're very, very strong. And so someone masking themselves as a gorilla in a gorilla family means that someone's presenting themselves to you and they're not what they seem to be. Mm. And there's something missing. Maybe there's this, an issue with health that that's talking about. However, the other way to interpret dreams is to look at what all of those parts mean to you. So I'm going to assume that you love cars. So cars to you and car parts and going to a car store it's probably going to mean something very different than it would to me. Like if I have to go to auto parts, mm -hmm. uh, it's awful for me. I have to go right up to the sales guy and say, <laughs> here's exactly what I need. Help me show, show me where it is and find it. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be different for you. So I would ask you, what do cars mean to you? Is it a passion of yours? Is it something, you, do you enjoy going there? Well, uh, I know a lot about cars. And if I was to go into, if I was to go into a parts place, I would, I would uh, probably be very comfortable. I would educate. I would educate whoever I was talking to. 
really. It's kind of like, hey, this 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 is, this is a true story. So uh, we went to the Indianapolis 500, my wife and I, and they just rolled out this truck called the, the Chevy Colorado. And there was one sitting there. Well, I was thinking about buying that particular truck. I think it was 2015. And so there's all these guys from GM and salespeople and stuff. And a, a guy comes walking out and he want to look at the truck and they, he asked him a question and they go, well, we're really not sure. And I go, well, let me tell you about the horsepower. It's got 306 horsepower. It's got an eight speed transmission and it's dual lined underneath the <laughs> truck. So I give them quite the education. So I guess you could say from that standpoint, but I do, I do agree that I guess if, if, if we look a little deeper than those ridiculous dreams, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they don't mean anything, but it just seems like uh, in in the supernatural world, there are entities known as tricksters. And so i got to watch that. But, hey, we're getting questions. This, so let's go ahead and take a couple, and we'll get back to our conversation. Okay. All right, Doug in, in Virginia says, um, Samantha, what are daydreams? Oh, daydream, um, it makes me sad when people ask that because as kids, I feel that we all used to daydream, right? When you're sitting in math class and your teacher's droning on and on and you look out the window and you would just daydream, your mind would wander. You might have a fantasy about fighting in Star Wars or you might role play over how are you going to ask that girl to the dance? That's a daydream. And, you know, studies show that adults don't daydream anymore. We just don't. We have too many distractions. When we're, you know, waiting in line, if we're stuck on the subway, we can open up our phone and look at TikTok or any of the social media out there. However, if we do take time in our day to daydream, to allow our mind to just wander and go in, in a pleasant way, usually mm -hmm. when our mind wanders, we're thinking, mm -hmm. did I pay that bill? Did I do that? Did I call that person back? But if you let yourself wander in a pleasant way, it does so much good, not only for your stress levels and your mood, but also for your ability at night to recall your dreams. Mm -hmm. All right. So so in, in your book, you do talk about precognitive dreams. And when I saw that word, it reminded me of uh, the uh, the. Uh, there's a Tom Cruise movie in it, and uh, oh yeah, they're, they're, where he the they can get into people's dreams. Yeah, well, there's these people that they they were called precogs, and they were able to see crimes in the future, and so they were they were called pre precognitive, and so they actually made a whole uh, a police unit out of, out of these precognitive people. But has precogs solved crimes or prevented yeah, or prevented them? Um, I don't know about preventing them. Uh, precognitive dreams, they can be involved in, in crime issues, but usually a lot. I have worked with police and some private investigators with cases, and it's very hard until they really get to know you and trust you. It's very hard for them to take that seriously, and you can't blame them. They have to, you know, they're working on taxpayer money. But there are cases, I mean, if you just look at 9-11 and you look at all the people who had precognitive dreams about that, or the children. I mean, there's there's been books written, so I don't want to belabor it, but there's been so much research on people and children who dreamt of like two mountains and planes going into them or two steel rectangles and planes crashing into them. So oftentimes when there's major events, we will have precognitive dreams about that. Typically, though, the research in my personal experience shows that our precognitive dreams are usually about our own personal lives. And so if there's something major coming up, usually um, if you're if you have had a lifetime of following your hunches mm -hmm. and really relying on that aspect of yourself, mm -hmm. you will be able to have a precognitive dream that gives you a warning about it. Mm -hmm. So one of the stories I start off in the book telling 
I was married to a police a sergeant for 20 years. And in the summer or the late spring, early summer of 2005, um, almost every night for about two weeks, I had this recurring dream um, that he was shot in the neck right here. And on July 29th of that year, he was shot in the in in the neck right there above his bulletproof vest. And so I I knew that I'd been having these precognitive dreams, and there's very little, you know, that you can do about it. You know, I told him to be careful to wear his vest. Um, we I had an Archangel Michael medallion blessed for him to wear, and I know all of that did help him and and help him eventually survive that. But it took a long, long time. So it's difficult with precognitive dreams because often there's very little you can do. I don't know if you agree with this or not. This is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I do think that some things in our life are faded. They're just part of our destiny. And there's not a lot we can do about them. But Mm -hmm. the precognitive dreams, to me, they make me feel better about that. Like, okay, I have free will about this. This is destined. But I was warned about it. So here's what I can do. So when I had those warning dreams, you know, I did do a lot. I made sure he was vigilant and wore his vest, made sure he wear wore his blessment. And he's such a guy's guy. Like to get him to wear a necklace was not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I made sure and I said a lot, a lot of prayers. And a lot of miracles did happen that night that contributed to him surviving that. Oh, okay. This is from Omega. It says, um, have you seen the spirits all in black robes or in gimp garb moving our perception bubbles on our back. What are they? I have not seen that, um, but I do a lot of protection stuff for myself. I do a lot of prayer work. Um, so uh, luckily I have not had those type of negative experiences. I would recommend that, that that listener check out Heidi Hollis, who's done a lot of work with that negative aspect, hat man, shadow man, grinning man. Why are they, I don't know why they have all these strange names. Mm-hmm. But um, I try really hard and I have a whole chapter in the book on psychic protection and things you can do to protect yourself from those negative parasites. Um, most people, have you ever seen a little shadow person, like like a little mm-hmm. shadow thing kind mm-hmm. of peeking around the corner? I, I have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most people have that experience and there's a lot of, again, nobody knows what they are. Um, I think Rosemary Ellen Guiley probably researched them the most of, of any paranormal researcher, but we still don't know what they are, but most people tend to think that they're kind of like droplets or residue of anxiety mm-hmm. and fear and stress that we're carrying around with us. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend that you work on reducing any anxiety, fear, and worry in, in your life. And hopefully those things will go away. What is it about this? Uh, some people have what's called a shared uh, dreaming experience. What is that? Yeah, that's a really cool phenomenon. I've experienced it a couple of times And that's when you have a dream and your friend has the same exact dream on the same night. And it makes you wonder, you know, were we somewhere together? How, how does that happen? I talk about this very mundane dream for me in a way I was walking through, it looks like a Penn station, you know, with the the subway tiles, Mm -hmm. like an arch of a subway. And I was walking through this uh, Penn station like archway with my uh, guide, I believe, on my side. And we're just walking and there's people coming and going. It's very, very crowded, like like a train station would be. And my good friend who I also worked with is coming towards me and she's walking with her guide. And I just waved and said hello to her and she waved back. That was it, nothing 
you know, to write home about, as they say. And the next morning I'm at the copier at work and I'm like, hey, I had a dream about you. And as I'm telling her the dream, she's finishing my sentences. Mm. She had the same exact dream, remembered seeing me and waving to me. So that's a trivial example of a shared dream experience, but I think it does show that something different is happening very often when we sleep than just having weird random dreams like the majority of our dreams are. The um, the, the the process of a dream, is is that like a cloud? Is it like, I mean, people say there's, information stored on synapse and your brain supposedly takes them, takes them and makes a movie out of them. But is it more, is a dream more of a, like a cloud kind of thing coming in rather than say like in the background here, little electrical sparks that our brain brain interprets and makes a movie out of and relays it to us as, as a, as a dream. But are, is it more like a cloud thing that comes in or is it a sort of a bio electrical or what is it? I think that the majority of dreams we have that are symbolic, like your car parts gorilla dream, I think that's your brain working out some things going on in your life that they're just trying to use symbolism to get you to pay attention to, right? And I think that is totally happening here. But I think when we have these precognitive experiences, shared dream experiences, these experiences where we encounter our loved ones who have died, I think those are really soul travel experiences where our soul has left our body and we are in this um, liminal space is, mm-hmm. is very often um, what what many people call it. There's uh, something, something out there called, uh, um, they just had it for kids. It was like, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was like, they just die in the night. I can't remember what that was called. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, um, like an aneurysm. But are you talking about that group of boys who all died in their sleep? No, I, I, no. There's something, some kind of childhood death, and it, it's like a syndrome. But anyway, they've oh, met, oh, infant death syndrome. Yeah, right. Okay, now they've kind of moved that to adults now in the last year or so. So now there's this sort of adult thing going on, and a lot of it's ha- occurring. But if a person dies in the middle of one of those dreams. Do you think that that is their their life? They're locked into that. Then they will actually become that because they actually have nowhere else to go but in that dream state and wherever that dream came from, go that way and, and live that life or have that experience. I mean, possibly that could happen, but science has you know busted that myth where they have been able to prove that if you do dream that you die, you don't always die, that you can you can wake up. In fact, the new lucid dream research that they're doing recently, they're able to show how people can communicate with blinking their eyelids um, to the dream researchers. So I don't think that's really true. So if, if you have, if you're afraid of those type of scary dreams, um, again, usually that's symbolic of something ending in your life. But, you know, maybe for those people who die in their sleep, maybe mm-hmm. that is how it happened for mm-hmm. them. Um, but it's not always, we used to hear, remember like when you're telling scary stories around the campfire and you'd hear, Oh, if you dream that you die in your sleep, you're going to die. But mm-hmm. they've been able to, uh, mm-hmm. to well, actually, that. actually I was trying to go a little bit deeper down and I agree that, that, that should have been another question as well. But, but my, I was suggesting that if you, not that you dream that you die and you die, but you die while you're dreaming. Is that that is that is that does your spirit or whatever conscious lock hold of that almost like being in another dimension, almost like the key that unlocks the door to another dimension because your your dimension you're in, you're not in it anymore. 
you're going to go somewhere. I'm just saying, is it, you think you could end up in that dream? It could be. I mean, there's, um, who's the physicist? Um, his last name is Wolf. And he thinks that every time we have a lucid dream, we're experiencing a parallel life. So, I mean, who knows where we're really going? You, you can, you know, I always say you can put all the labels that you want on it. At the end of the day, we don't know. Um, over 80% of people that have been studied and, and asked and surveyed this question have said they have met a loved one on the other side. Well, where is that, that, that we're having these meetings and these encounters? Is it a parallel life? Is it a liminal state? Is it um, mm -hmm. a level of heaven and entrance to the other side? You know, at the end of the day, we don't know right now, but we do know that these experiences are happening. Mm -hmm. Now, haven't people actually created in, inventions in their dreams? Yeah, there's there's so many amazing stories of that. I mean, Albert Einstein says he came up with the theory of relativity in a dream. There have been uh, the periodic tables that we all had to memorize in high school that came in a dream. We've had, the sewing machine came in a dream. He um, Elias Howe dreamt that he was trying to figure out a way for the the needle to catch the thread on the sewing machine, and he had a dream that a bunch of cannibals. Uh, were attacking him, and they all had these spears, but he noticed there were holes in their spears, and that, that one dream of the, seeing that hole in the spear showed him that's how he had to make the threading needle in the sewing machine. Mm. There, there's been so much literature that has come to us in a dream. Billy Joel just said all the music he's ever created came in a dream, and mm. Keith Richards actually recorded the opening um, chords of can't get no satisfaction while he was sleeping and dreaming he mm -hmm. fell asleep with the recorder on and woke up and heard the first those first notes and went on to write that um people probably know that famous story of paul mccartney who dreamt the whole melody to yesterday and went around to all his friends asking like who did i steal this from and uh you know he didn't he just he dreamt the whole thing mm -hmm. so as you see in the background here we have a, a dream catcher so it seems to me that the the indigenous people certainly believed in dreams and they put a lot more emphasis on dreams and they tried to really bring it into the natural with the, with their creation of their dream catchers. Do you think, do you think they work? Yes, I do. And I think it's, um, it could be because dream catchers work. It could also be because of the intention you put behind it, you know, so that every time you're seeing that dream catcher hanging over your bed you are subliminally telling your subconscious, I'm going to be safe and protected in my dreams. So I don't know if the dream catcher itself works or if our mind and the <clears throat> power of our mind is working there. Can, when, you, when, when you get ready to go to bed, can, have you ever had enough focus to where you could direct the type of dream or what you're going to dream about before you go to bed? Yes, but not that night. So something I always tell people is when working with our dreams, we have to be really, really patient. And one thing I do that really does help if I have a question and I just cannot see a solution or an outcome or a way forward with that, that problem I'm dealing with, I'll write it down on a piece of paper and I'll tuck it underneath my pillow. And then every night I'll kind of read it. I'll say my prayers. I'll ask for help in the dreams with that. And I, I keep a very religiously, I keep a dream journal where I write down what I remember each night. And I've noticed by looking at patterns in that dream journal, it takes about two weeks of doing that every night, looking at that question, asking for a dream on that specific area of my life. But I will have a very profound dream that helps me 
figure out my way forward. Mm-hmm. So you can't, nec- I mean, maybe there are some people, I mean, Stephen LaBerge, who's like the father of lucid dreaming, he probably can do that. But I think for most of us, it takes us about two weeks of really focused thought. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've come to, to learn uh, to accept the exciting journey that comes when you're at a why in your life, there's a decision that you have to make or a doctor's report you have to get, you know, you're waiting for something to come back from the lab or you're out and you're doing something. One of those happened this year. Um, uh, I was out in the middle of a lake in a, in a little boat with a, <laughs> a little motor because I didn't want to pay. I just want to go fishing, man. That's all I want to do. I didn't want to take a giant boat out there for $300 an hour. So I got a little John boat looking thing. Well, the motor quit. <laughs> it was out in the middle of the lake, huge lake. It was laying between the lakes, man. And so I thought, I didn't get mad. You know, I called them and they go, hey, you know, uh, we'll be out there. They never came out. So I knew I had to I had to get this. But anyways, I'm saying all that to say, when the motor quit, I immediately was able to switch to, wow, a whole chapter is getting ready to be written. A, a new turn is getting ready to be taken. And I've learned to accept those and to see them more now as an adventure. And, you know, you might get a negative doctor report back if you're looking at the doctor's thing. But in a lot of the situations where you got you go here or you go there, this can happen or that can happen. If you've kind of embraced those, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you alter the outcome by not being so negative and say, oh, man, I'll never get back. We're stuck here forever. The boat's going to sink. Uh, the, the the big fish is going to come up and swallow the whole boat, you know, which is normal for human the human to process traumatic informa- information and events because that is traumatic. You know you're stuck. There's no way around you, and it, it's two miles that way. So, but anyway, it was exciting because I, I I learned to accept now that hey, something seems like it's bad. Uh, you know, the phone's getting ready to ring or this or that. There's an adventure there. That, you, that something good could happen, and you've got a whole new chapter of, of, of adventurous things going to happen. The outcome of that eventually was just to let you know, I rode that little boat a little further around a thing, and this guy comes by with his big super boat. And one thing, guys, guys, I know about boats is guys are power guys. Okay, when it comes to boats, we want big motors, and we want the boats to go fast. And I knew that he wouldn't like nothing better than to hook up to my little boat and, and, and told me back to the marina, and he did, about 50 miles an hour. I was getting airborne. But uh, so anyway, it was, so, so we do have these things that happen to us that, that I think we just need to, part of the positivity kind of thing, it's probably nothing new with dream here, I guess, but that everything that happens to you isn't going to necessarily have a negative outcome. But sometimes we almost try to initiate it, like we look at, the news to see how bad it is. You know, sometimes we almost want to initiate. I don't know why, why do we gravitate toward those negative tendencies on the situation? I think it's preparation. It's the same reason why so many women love to watch Dateline and 48 hours and all that true crime. We're trying to prepare ourselves, you know, for us being in that actual outcome so that it won't be as frightening if it ever happens. I think it's the same with all the negative thoughts. We, We'd rather be prepared for the negative than let down by the hope. And so I, I think that is one of the trickiest parts of, of being a human, you know, is, is trying to deal with having hope and having expectations, but also knowing that into every life a little rain must fall, as Longfellow said, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to have these negative experiences. But I always wonder, like, if you 
if you and I've been there, I've been stranded on a boat before, and it's a terrifying feeling. If you were sitting there going, well, this sucks. I'm going to be out here for five hours. I'm going to have to, you know, uh, drink my own urine to save my life or what have you. If you had done that, I wonder if that that bigger boat would have found you or if you would have had to wait. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I used to when my kids were little, we went to the beach every day during the summer. And my friend who had kids the same age as mine, every day that we met at the beach, she brought this jellyfish uh, spray. So like if if any of the kids got stung by a jellyfish, she'd be prepared. Well, her kids got stung by jellyfish three or four times, you know, over the course of us going to the beach all of those times. My kids never got stung by a jellyfish. I think when we prepare for the negative, we create space for the negative. Hmm. Um. Speaking of past sages, didn't St. Augustine have some sort of dream? Do you know about that? Yeah. So this is one of my favorite stories. St. Augustine was having this uh, letter correspondence with his good friend, Genadius. This is in 415 AD. um, And Genadius was a well-known physician. And, you know, St. Augustine was really, really strict. I mean, he he was uh, one of the reasons why a lot of uh, priest or celibate, very rigid rule guy. And I was very surprised to read these letters where he and his friend are really questioning, is there life after death? Um, it'd kind of be like Pope Francis saying, you know, is what, what, do we go anywhere when we die? And yet there he was having those questions. And so Genadius had this dream and it recurred two more nights after the first dream where he woke up and saw this glowing being in his room and the glowing being he saw as as a man who was an angel, but he didn't have wings. And he said to Genadius, um, you know, basically, I've heard your discussion about is there life after death? And he says, where are you right now? And he says, I'm in my room. And he says, where's your body? And he says, it's, it's right there. It's on my bed. And he said, are your eyes closed? And he said, yes. And he said, then with what eyes are you seeing me? And he said, look, look, look upon you, upon your body. He said, your eyes are closed, your mouth is closed, and yet you're seeing me and you're hearing me. And he said, so never doubt that there is life after death. And he repeated two more, he recurred, he returned two more times in these lucid dream experiences and was able to show him different levels of the other side and where we go. And it really had a profound impact on, on St. Augustine. And I think all of us today, because that's a really amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is that is a great story. Um, there is a, in the Bible. There's a lot of um, a lot of information about dreams. And uh, let me pull something up real quick and see if we can we can look we can look at them one. This uh, this is this is here from um, uh, Numbers twelve six. It says, "I the the Lord will make myself known unto you in a vision and speak unto him in a dream." Right there clearly says. That God is going to and 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 really Samantha those whether the guy in a monkey suit or whether I'm going to invent something I don't know what the outcome would be but if I felt like God was speaking to me in a dream that I, I feel like my very life could be at stake it seemed like it's such a momentous thing I'm I'm trying I would say differentiate between God speaking to us in a dream than say you know like you you would suggest somebody was trying to help us or an angel's trying to give us direction or some entity's trying to give us information how to invent something which are sort of um uh not so uh not such a um 
event that would have a uh, unlimited a uh, outcome, say like your eternal being. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so there, there is that, and then there's there's one more, and I'll, I'll and we'll come back to this. But this is in the book of Acts, and uh, kind of relates to today. But it says in Acts two seventeen, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I, again, it appears that that God is saying that dreams is part of of His design for us as humans. So we should be reticent really to pay more attention to them because we don't know when those God dreams are coming to us, bringing us information, say, versus, like I say, the other uh, sort of the, the helpful dreams. So so I'm going to ask you then, have you ever felt like you were getting a dream that was on a m- more celestial, eternal scale than um, uh, than your normal type of dreams that you normally get? Have you ever been able to differentiate? Well, I've had many dreams where I'm talking around like a little conference table with my guides and angels. But if I had a dream where I felt as though God were talking to me, I would be like Mike Myers in Wayne's World. You know, I'm not worthy. I I don't know that I could handle it. So I do think that God picks select people, you know, to to have those dream experiences. But I have had many dreams where I'm talking to my guides about my life plan, my soul purpose, and what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. And I I do think most of us have those dreams, even if we don't remember them consciously. Mm-hmm. There's um there's a wonderful story. It's not in the Bible. But it's, it's, it's an old, old legend where God is talking to all the new souls that are getting ready to be born, and he's wishing them luck on earth. And the new souls start to cry, and they say, God, we'll miss you. We, we don't want to leave. We don't want to go down to earth. And he says, oh, never fear. He said, every night when you sleep, your soul returns to me, and we get to visit once more. And I just love that idea that every night when we're dreaming, we're actually visiting, you know, an aspect of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, some people don't dream at all. Now, what, what's the problem? Have they, uh, is that just a random chance or, or is it maybe, and I'm not, I'm not saying nothing personal, I guess anybody that's not having dreams, but is it something that they're unknowingly doing maybe that is blocking the ability to dream? Yes. Yeah. Well, luckily science has proven that everybody dreams, even if you don't remember it, you are dreaming. Um, in fact, I came across several studies that said only psychopaths don't have dreams, wow. but everybody else does have, we do dream. Um, we spend it, I think it's 50% of the last two hours of your sleep sleep cycle is nothing but dreams. Mm-hmm. So every time you hit that REM cycle, you are dreaming. The key is remembering them. So anyone who's very, very left-brained, who's, you know, has that engineer, science analytical side to them, they're going to have a much harder time remembering your dreams. And then just um, in terms of what's going on in our body, if you're really stressed out during the day, you're releasing a lot of cortisol, and cortisol will inhibit, too much cortisol will inhibit the the brain's capacity to recall dreams. So if you have a very analytical mind, if you don't have a big imagination, if you tend to be one of those uh, black and white thinkers, yes or no, this or that, show me, I need to see it with my own eyes. Um, If you don't believe in anything, uh, you're going to have a much harder time remembering your dreams. But Mm -hmm. I do have an entire chapter in the book devoted just on how to remember your dreams. One of the easiest ones that I always tell people is just set your alarm an hour earlier than you have to wake up. 
you know, so set two alarms. If you have to get up every day at 6 Mm a.m., set an alarm for 5 a.m. and then set an alarm for 6 a.m. When the 5 a.m. alarm goes off, don't hit snooze. You know, just let yourself fall back asleep till the 6 a.m. alarm goes off. And most people remember their at least one dream in that last hour of their sleep. And of course, the one everyone hates to hear. But if you do write down your dreams every day, even if you remember nothing, you know, you can just write down the date, November 20th, uh, you know, 2022. Mm-hmm. I, I remembered nothing, but I woke up feeling such and such. Eventually, you will start to recall more. Mm-hmm. Um, I see somebody in the live chat suggesting that uh, calcification of calcification of the pineal gland can hinder the ability to recall dreams. Uh, yes. What's the connection between the pineal? pineal? I, said pineal? It, I said it right the first time, but I'm a cowboy. I don't have to speak English. Um, what's the difference between that and, and what's the connection of that in dreams? So, so the pineal gland is re- located where our third eye chakra is. It's right in the center of the brain. And so it does help uh, not only dream recall, but it also helps with our intuition or, or our hunches. And so if that is blocked or if it's over, over calcified, it's going to be much harder to have that dream recall and to have those amazing insights during, during meditation. And unfortunately, you know, there's so much fluoride in our water. We need the fluoride in our water, right? Or else we'd all walk around with yellow <laughs> cavity-ridden teeth. But that fluoride will calcify your your pineal gland. So there are a lot of things you can do to work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can, you know, anyone can research how to decalcify pineal gland. There are ways that you can do it. One of the easiest, though, and, and I have this in the book, too, is where you just close your eyes, you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, and with your eyes closed, you stare up. It kind of hurts a little. I mean, it's not painful, but it's kind of like you'll feel like a little tingling sensation, and that is said to really help awaken that that pineal gland so that you can not only be more intuitive but remember your dreams more clearly. Hey, side, side note question. Um, is uh, fluoride ever been approved by the FDA? I don't know. I would assume it has, but I feel like I feel like you know the answer to that. I do. And the answer is no. <laughs> so, hey. Really? Yeah. So maybe maybe they don't want us to have dreams, Matthew. Maybe they want to stop us from tapping into our true spiritual selves. And I think that's always been part of some overarching conspiracy, of which I am a purveyor of conspiracies and untruths on this program. So I can I can say that. I mean, I, my proof is I got kicked off of YouTube. So there you go. Now I'm on, <laughs> now I'm on, now I'm on Rumble. But uh it just seems that I see a concerted effort to naturalize everything. In other words, there's nothing mystical. There, dreams is just a, an organic bioelectrical operation that occurs. And, you know, I heard him say that the, when you, when you, when you have a near death experience and you go through that light, you know, they've got it down to a chemical. Oh, well, there's this chemical that creates in your brain. It creates a white hole and you're thinking that's a tunnel, you know I mean? They just try to, normalize everything but i don't think it's like the, the, the evidence around this world and all the different things don't show that's the case at all that this there's a wide variety of supernatural things going on and realms and dimensions uh certainly you mentioned einstein i think he certainly believed that maybe it's 13 dimensions and that's kind of what i was alluding to with the dream question when i said if you die w- would you go into a, that dream because to me a dream is another dimension to me, I mean, I, I haven't scientifically proven that, but my my research, I'm 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 looking into it. 
Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people think that there's way more dimensions than we're aware of. And, you know, we don't know. Are there, are these, how many, Dolores can't, you know, you've heard so many people say there are seven dimensions, there are 13, there are 24. We we don't really know. I mean, we can, we can speculate. Are these parallel lives? Is there a past, present, future, or is it all happening now? I mean, all of these things um, are aspects of spirituality that I love to study. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love that we don't know. I love leaning into the mystery of it. Yeah, I, I, I like the mystery of it, too. That really keeps keeps things exciting. Now, some people, though, Samantha, some people turn to drugs like peyote and other substances uh, to get a, a higher experience. Is that dangerous, or have you done it yourself and you think it's innocuous? I have not... <laughs> I am so vanilla. I've never done any drug. I I think it'd be really cool to try peyote or ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it'd be very interesting to have that experience and looking at what they're doing now with the microdosing of um, what is it psychedelics. I think that's really cool. We had a woman on our on our one of my podcasts. And she had lifelong chronic depression and swears that microdosing cured her. So mm-hmm. I have no experience of that. It's the whole throwing up thing that throws me. Have you heard about that? Have you no. done it? No. Okay. So supposedly when you take either of those two that you mentioned, ayahuasca, I know for sure, you you vomit for a long time. And then you have these visions. Wow. I don't I don't know. I don't want to sit out there. And I've heard stories where if you don't go with a really well-known person, like they'll they'll take these women out into these deserts and then other things happen to them besides the wonderful experience. Well, so I think def- everyone has to research it carefully um, and really study it. Well, I'm definitely staying away from ayahuasca because several people have said, even on this show, that they have these day, I guess you, day visions of, of of spiders crawling up along along the wall and various creatures uh, hideous creatures i i don't want, i don't want nothing to do with that but but here's a little kind of a factoid this just came up in the news speaking of depressing news mexico and this has to do with drug use so mexico has public service announcements showing video of strung out people in pennsylvania and said if you do drugs you're going to end up like this and they just show driving through the street pennsylvania and or Philadelphia, and they're just strung out, just you know how it's it's how you know half clothed and tent cities and land and and seizures and and isn't it just disgusting that another country would use our country in such a way? But in one way or another, there's a little bit of truth to that. And as kids, don't do drugs. <laughs> you know, I used to teach at a community college, and I was teaching this class. I was teaching. Uh, English lit class and a lot of the students there were either out of coming out of drug rehab or um, needing to be there and I didn't know that at the time and we were reading this short story on on drugs and I said I said you know happy people don't need to get high I thought that was such a simple statement like such an obvious statement and Mm -hmm. Those students viscerated me. They were like, what are you saying? Everybody does drugs. Everybody gets high. And I said, well, I, you know, I don't. And I'm a very happy person. I think if you're happy, you don't you don't need that. And mm-hmm. uh, such pushback. And so I think all of those things that you're talking about, I mean, legalizing, um, was it Washington or, or Oregon who uh, legalized? I think it's Oregon. Or, yeah. they're, they're legalizing everything, I think. Yeah, it's just... Um, 
I just feel like, you know, happy people don't need to get high. And so if, if we work on our inner joy, we won't have to have all of that. But I also feel that we're letting down so many people who are dealing with real mental health issues. And that's why they're turning to these uh, medications to numb their own pain. Mm-hmm. So there's so much work to be done. It, it, that that kind of goes to our spiritual nature, Samantha. It seems... <clears throat> that every person seems to have a, a like a hole in their in their system and it it i think it, that hole is designed for i don't want to say the god particle like the hadron collider type of thing but a spiritual size of or void that is that we know that we, intrinsically all humans are aware of this void and some of us don't have any information about the spiritual world of a world of any kind. So we gravitate toward drugs or sex or uh, hate, anger, violence, theft, things that instant gratification. And we try to fill that void and I, that void can never be filled with those things. So the people that we see turning to these drugs, laying out in the street, they had that void but the system is going to try to fill that void with a program and it doesn't work. The recidivism rate of people in prison, if they turn to a sort of religious structure is documented way less than those that go through just a program that that says, here's how you better yourself. But it seems to me that there is this. soul, and that part, part of that is the search. Now, apparently with your book, you're searching, you're searching, you're searching in the dream world. Maybe you can find some answers in there. Maybe, Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've had a hole in your life. I've had it. You know, maybe you still do. Maybe, you, maybe, maybe, and maybe that hole we start to fill it with the right things, and there's still some there that start, we're searching to fill the rest of it to have a to make us feel complete. But maybe we're making progress because we're starting to fill. It. But I'm just saying that seems to be a supernatural void that that our spiritual self needs something other than programs and even good intentions to fill that. Yeah, I agree. And it's something I think about a lot. You know, there's, again, there's another old legend that I, I think about a lot where all the the gods and goddesses were standing on this on this mountaintop and, and they were reveling over humans and how amazing we were and how much power we actually had. And the gods said, gosh, if humans realize how much power they have, they're going to overtake us. And so they said, let's let's hide this knowledge from them. And this one God was like, we'll hide it in the deepest part of the darkest ocean. And this other one said, no, they're really smart. They'll figure out a way to dive down and get it. And so this other God was like, well, we'll put it on the highest mountain. No, humans are smart. They'll find a way to climb that mountain. And it goes on and on like that. And finally, this goddess steps forward and she says, I know where we can hide humans' wisdom and innate love and magical power that will never find it. And they're like, where, where, where? And she says, we'll hide it in their hearts. And so I think that's why so many of the mystics and shamans and visionaries and poets of the ages have said all everything is within. And yet here we are, and we're looking to all these outer things to fill it. And it's just, um, it's kind of sad mm-hmm. because really and truly the answers are within. And, and whether you find that through meditation, through prayer, through connecting with your, your inner spirit, through dreams, I don't think it matters as long as you uh, find it. And I don't, you know, I don't know that it's our purpose on earth in this lifetime to fill that void. I don't know if we can fill it here. 
I don't think this is a place where we're meant to be blissfully happy all the time. Mm-hmm. I think this is, I call earth a marathon. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is like a Ironman competition, you know, where we're always working and seeking and growing and going. And so I think we can, we can fill it, but uh, not all the way. And I think that's okay. I think where the joy comes is in the attempt to fill it and what you learn about yourself mm-hmm. as you try to fill that void. Mm. You remind me of a story that's in the Bible where it says there was uh, three, three, three men that were thrown into the fire in this fire because the king didn't like them. And, uh, and he was really mad at him. So he said, man, crank up that fire 10 times hotter than it normally is. And, it th- and he threw them in there. And um, then they're looking in the fire and they're walking around in the fire. And the king said, hey, didn't I? He goes, he says to his, his guys, he said, didn't I tell you to throw those three guys in the fire? And he goes, yeah. He said, well, how come I see four guys in there? Well, the fourth, but the fourth, I think was, was Jesus was in there. And it said when they come out, they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. So that tells me that we can go through trials in this life. And like you said, we're not going to have perfection and reach nirvana, but there, our ability to handle the fire you know, why aren't you totally bummed out because your car got repossessed? You know, what, what's the matter? You didn't want your car? Or why aren't you upset because somebody said something nasty about you? Why don't you go get them? Why don't you re- reply? You know, like you say, those things are are going to happen to you. But And, and you know, a, a positive response is a shocker because people expect the normal response. We, they expect you to say, why, why, don't you, uh, why don't you insult that person just insult you? And, and he said, no, I want to. It's like, why not? You know, you're supposed to. But that shock is what people need. They need to be shocked into knowing that you don't always have to repay evil for evil. That that We're talking about that hole in the heart or wherever it is. It fills up a little bit with some good vibrations when you don't behave that way. So that doesn't mean you won't go through bad times, but how you handle them and what's in that in, in that void is going to get you through them. Yeah, I agree. You've got to rise above it. But I'm also not the best Christian because I'm not necessarily about turning the other cheek always. I think when you encounter an evil, negative person, you just walk away. You just keep your distance, you know, whether that that negative person is in your family or at your work. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, total, absolute forgiveness without Mm -hmm. change. I think there has to be change before we turn that other cheek. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I'm certainly not sitting here saying open the prison doors, man, because <laughs> you know, and that goes to the that goes to the the topic of judge not, but that's that's not what the Bible says, Samantha. It says judge not, lest ye be judged. For what matter you judge others, you're going to be judged. So when you do have to judge, you got to have a central truth foundation that to wherewith that you can judge the situation. Uh, rather, you know, because if you don't have all the information, say somebody, you thought you think somebody stole something from you and you exact vengeance on them and you find out it wasn't them. I mean, you judge them wrong. But if they did steal from you, you have then you judge them right. So I, I do I right. do agree with you, but I'm definitely not going to open up prison. People say you're not supposed to judge. and said, well, if we're not supposed to judge, then eliminate the juries and open the prison doors, man. Somebody's got to take care of this thing down here. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. I think we have to be realistic about that. And that's where... That's where, again, everything comes back to balance, doesn't it? Where we've got to really be balanced about um, accepting the negative stuff that happens in our life, but not, uh, I don't think, I think it's 
it's not realistic to think we're, we can be positive all the time either because sometimes really crappy stuff happens mm -hmm. and you've got to allow yourself to be angry and sad and mad and justifiably upset about it and then move on to the positive. Mm -hmm. But when something kind of bad happens, like, like your stranded boat story, who is it helping if you throw a huge temper tantrum and, and have a little freak out? It helps nobody and certainly not that situation. So it's all about balance and really mm -hmm. uh, being aware throughout your day of of your mood and how you're responding to situations. Mm -hmm. I just think our our consciousness is so much more powerful than than we give ourselves credit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think I think that our words have power too. I, I yeah. think that what you speak has a force to change nature or the direction. Uh, I know some people believe that, you know, there's a, there's a universe that listens to you. So you better watch what you say. You just might get what you say. But if you, if your intention is, if you just start with the intention is I'm going to try to make my life better. I'm going to try to make other lives better. But I agree with you again. Again, I agree with you. They're going one day you're going to let loose. Okay. You're going to, Somebody's gonna cut you off, and and the bird's coming out, okay? And but but when the bird comes out, you know that when it when it doesn't register down the road, oh, why did I do that? If if that thought doesn't occur, then then you're back in crow magnum days. So you you haven't you haven't evolved yet. But that you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you don't do. if, if after you make after you after you do that, if you if it doesn't got a little something pick on it. Yeah, and it doesn't feel good, you know. I so I move. I live in the south now, but I moved from. I lived up north my whole life, and uh, we're very aggressive drivers up north. And I came down here, and uh, southerners don't blow their horn. <laughs> they certainly rarely give the bird. And I was like, what is this? And everyone drove so super slow. Like if it was forty-five, they're all going thirty-five to forty. I had such road rage and I was able to overcome that. It took me a long time, but I realized like beeping my horn or giving someone the look or, you know, what have you, it, it doesn't make them feel good. And it certainly didn't make me feel good. So overcoming those things I do think is, is a very important goal, mm. but yeah, sometimes you're just going to get frustrated and that's okay too. So, so com conversely, I was, uh, I was uh, in the Chicago area and I think it was, I think it was called Indianapolis Avenue. Them people's doing hundred miles an hour around there, man. I, 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 man, what's the speed limit on this highway? So yeah, I guess I kind of took my Midwestern driving, my, my okey doke driving, you know, da 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 da. But up there, that, they didn't hack it up there, man. You, you either hit the gas or you're gonna get run over. Up, or up, that's up. it. Yeah, yeah. My favorite thing is when I'm on I-95. Once I leave the Virginia border, I know I can drive like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all the speed and, and you won't go. But yeah, I think, it, I think it's important to learn how to kind of go with the flow with all of that and realize what I was realizing with my road rage, I had to start to say like, okay, what am I really mad about? What's making me mad? And I realized it was my issue with control. And I had no control over that person in front of me. Didn't matter if I beat my horn or I don't think I've ever flipped anyone off, but if I did, mm -hmm. Uh, didn't matter. They were still, they were good. They'd go slower if I did that. Right. Okay. Cause they were in control. And so sometimes identifying those moments where you get super frustrated and you just want to scream and swear and lash out. Those are actually some of our most instructive moments because they realize it helps you realize what's blocking you. And I realized it was, it was me needing to be in control of that yeah. situation. And well, we, so once we, I recognized that and worked on it, it, it healed it beautifully. All right. Let me just throw this out to the people who's watching because I can see them in the live chat. 
people in the live chat, if you've if you've used the bird in your car, go ahead and say yes, you did, and we'll assume that you you asked you repented. But if you've ever did that, if you if, you've, if anybody if you if you brought out the bird, go ahead and just put a quick yes or no in the live chat, and I'll take a look at that. Now, speaking of our website here, uh, Samantha, uh, we have a question there: Where do dreams come from? And the the poll answers are uh, from your own mind, another dimension, another time, the heavenly realm, another galaxy, the netherworld, or another you. And right now, of the respondents, 66% say that dreams come from your own mind, 13 say the heavenly realm, and uh, about 9% say the netherworld. And I don't know, I don't even know what that even means, but it sounds crazy. I don't want to go to the no nether world. I don't think I got any, nothing good to eat down there. So, but it looks like you're saying your, your own mind. I, I would not be in that category. I, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't think it comes from our own mind. I think it comes from somewhere else. I think like those, those de-stressor dreams that we have, you know, you show up or your teeth fall out or you show up late for an exam, you know, those typical dreams so many of us mm -hmm. have. I do think that those come from our mind. I think it's the other dreams where we really can't explain how this is happening. Um, I share a story there in, in the book where I had a dream that my mother-in-law visited me in my kitchen and I knew I was dreaming, but I knew I was awake and mm -hmm. she was in the kitchen with her best friend. And my mother-in-law at that time had been deceased for six years. Her best friend was alive and well. Mm. And my mother-in-law said, um, tell her, tell her, tell Samantha what you told me. And the best friend said, I, I listened to you, to both of you ladies and you're right. It is time for me to go. It is time for me to pass on. Everything will be better once I do. And in the dream, I was excited that she had agreed to finally pass on. Now, keep in mind, at the time, she was 65, which is very young. Mm -hmm. So I woke up from that dream, and I was like, why? Why would we be talking her into crossing over? Why? It made no sense to me. And so I you know, told everyone in the family about that dream, and they were like, that makes no sense. She just retired. She and her husband bought a new house. She's excited for her grandchildren. Well, six months after that dream, she passed away in her sleep. But oddly, at the time, she had several kids and all, all grown, and all of those kids were not doing well. Um, one was divorced. One had just lost a spouse. One it just They were not at good places in their life. Mm -hmm. Within a year of her passing, all of her children had miraculous things happen, and their lives, all of them, are super amazing. I can't tell you how successful they have been in career and love and health hmm. and so i don't know what that means or, or how that's connected but i that that could not have come from my brain i wasn't even thinking right. about her i barely knew her so i do think some dreams come to us from the heavenly realm right i, I would i would agree because there's just some things uh, because i've heard it explained by people on this show uh say well it's 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 a it, it's a amalgamation of things that you have seen but I've had things in my dream that I have not seen, and that to me guarantees the fact that it, that can't be true. It might happen sometime, but certainly not the the the, uh, the majority. All right, all right. So we got some replies back, Samantha, about the 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 bird here. Um, we've got a we've got a no. Now here's a, well, I guess we got a whole category here because Mickey V says yes, birded, more patient now. So I I think we have a whole category. So that must mean there's there's an, an act called birding because she birded. That must be an act called birding. So 
Uh, let's see who else we got here. Uh, we 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 got to know. I, I got I got a feeling that people are are not are not answering that question. Uh, it's okay, you guys. I I forgive you. I don't know what that that's the answer. Yes, but so it, in the in the dream state, if we're in there and something bad starts happening to us, can we check out of that dream and go to another dream? I don't know if we can go to another dream, but we can definitely wake up from that dream. Um, and so there there have been several instances where people have been having a frightening experience and they'll remember or recall in that moment that they're dreaming and they'll call on their higher power. You know, whether mm. that's Jesus, God, Buddha, you know, whatever people's uh, concept of a higher power is. And that tends to work beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had several frightening dreams where I'm encountering something negative. And um, if I call on um, Jesus or Mother Mary or or an angel, I'm instantly taken out of that dream and I tend to wake up in my bed. Mm-hmm. So I do think that, you know, we do encounter these things. I, I call them energy vampires. Uh, all right. By the way, shocker for you Catholics out there, Paul McCartney was not talking about Mother Mary of yeah, Jesus. John Lennon. I know he's talking about his own mom. <laughs> right. Shocker. Shocker or, or spoiler alert. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, so now, but there's another thing called a dream within a dream. How does that happen? Yeah, you can be having a dream about dreaming. And so <laughs> what is that? Is that about, you know, a universe within a universe? I don't think we really know. I usually tend to take those dreams as as signs that I need to do something more creative because there's there's a dream within me that's trying to get out through that dream. So it's it's more symbolic, you know. And so usually when when I have that, I know I've got to do something that to me is creative. Mm. So for me, you know, that would be drawing or painting, um, baking even is creative to me. But for someone else, it could be woodworking, it could be um, working on fishing lures, anything that you feel. Mm-hmm takes you out of that that linear time you know when you're doing something creative and you lose all sense of time that's that's the best thing you can do for body mind spirit and so often that dream within a dream can mean that or you know who knows it could mean that we visited a parallel life Hmm. um as we get closer to death uh i i have met people that are in the hospice and it seems that's the prime time that they will get visited by somebody or something. Uh, it happened to my own brother. He, I had a brother was in hospice and another brother already passed away and he was talking to him like he was standing there. But I think he was, I think the, the unseen brother was bidding him or maybe telling him, Come. but, but is, does it always have to get to that point to where, because even isn't it true that children don't see people that aren't there until we talk them out of it? Maybe they do see something. I mean, clearly animals see things. There's so many YouTube videos of animals that are just walking along and all of a sudden they just they just freak out because they see something that nobody else sees. Yeah, yeah. And there's been some neat studies on why kids see stuff more than we do, and you know, surely it's because. They don't have the defenses of, oh, it's just your imagination built into them yet. But they've actually done some studies on children's eyes and their rods and cones aren't fully formed until like any doctors listening, don't roll your eyes because I can't remember if it's six, six or seven years old. And their peripheral vision is much wider than ours. And if you notice, most of us will see 
shadowy people or spirits or stuff out of our peripheral vision. So there might be some science behind that as well. But yeah, if you if you read books like Visions, Trips, and Crowded Rooms, one of my favorite books on what people see before they're dying, it is often their loved ones. Uh, my father just passed away uh, this spring after a lengthy battle with Alzheimer's. And the last few years, he had hardly any communication. He could only say wonderful. But this one day, I was talking to him, and he was completely lucid for 30 minutes, and he talked about how almost every night when he falls asleep, the ceiling moves, and he sees the staircase. And he says, I'm always on the staircase in his dreams, and his father is always on the staircase, and he said, my dog Slugger. Now, my dad talked about this dog he had as a kid, but Slugger died when my dad was 12. And my father now was 83 years old, mm. couldn't communicate for years, and suddenly remembered you know, his dog's name. And he said that the three of us are always on the top of the stairs begging him to come and walk across the bridge. And he squeezed my hand and he said, but I'm not ready. Please tell them I'm not ready. Mm. And so I do think that sometimes when it's our time and we're not you know, following the guidance and going over, I think they will come to us either in dreams or um, just when we're have a foot in both worlds, like the hospice situation. Well, um, speaking of a foot in both worlds, how do we know that we're not in the dream now and reality is when we dream? It very well could be, right? This could be the nightmare. Some would <laughs> and think. our dreams. I mean, yeah, people have speculated that many, many times. And again, that's that's what I think is really neat is we don't know. But let's just play with that, right? If this is a dream, and we can, studies have shown that in lucid dreams, you can change the dream, you can change the outcome, you can work on shadow sides of yourself, hidden mm -hmm. fears. If you can do all that in a dream, and this right now is a dream, that means we can change anything we want right now, just with our thoughts and our intention. Mm. Well, Jesus did say, if you say unto this mountain, be thou plucked up and be thou cast into the sea, it shall obey you. He also said the tongue being a small member can set on fire the course of nature. And that's why I was trying to watch what I say. All right, uh, Ken, there's a question here from Jay. It says, can people be taught to lucid dream or it is something, or is it something that you're born with? No, you can definitely be taught to do it. In fact, the most recent studies that they did, I think it was at Stanford, um, they took like just freshmen, sophomores in college as kids, you know, and they taught them how to lucid dream. So it's something anyone can do. However, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's like, oh, take this weekend course and you'll be lucid dreaming by Tuesday. I think it takes a lot of time. There's a great book if anyone wants an older book. It was written in the 1920s by Oliver Fox. It took him seven years to have his first lucid dream. So mm -hmm. it, there are several techniques you can do. There's the wake to bed method. Um, there's a wild method you can do. There's, um, believe it or not, one of the best ways you can teach yourself to lucid dream, and it sounds so innocuous to me, when you're laying in bed, you do a reverse review of your day. So rather than going over your day, like I woke up this morning mm -hmm. and then I brushed my teeth and then, no, you do a minutia detailed focus reverse review so like be right before you got into bed you put your pajamas on then before that you brush your teeth before that you wash your face before that you know you watched yellowstone before that you made dinner you, you know very detail oriented mm -hmm. it should take you a good long time and you finish with when you woke up that morning and i don't really understand it but for some reason that helps um, not only increase dream recall but lucid dreaming as well
All right. Um, this is from Australian Ben. Why do so many dreams seem more real than regular life? That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that is because if you, to me, these, I call them soul travel dream, but these these unique dream experiences that I've had and that I'm sharing of other people, famous people, well-known people, and regular average people have had. To me, if you look at the details and the colors and the vividness of them, it almost reminds me of near-death experiencers. You know how near-death experiencers will say there were colors that we don't even have mm -hmm. here? I yeah. can't explain it. And more the vibrant. And more vibrant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I have these uh, very beautiful, wonderful dream experiences, that's how I feel. And and talking to people through the years about their soul travel dream experiences, they they say the same thing. It was realer than real. And so it makes me wonder if, as I've said before, we aren't visiting the other side. And that's why it has that lucidity and that that vividness to it. Uh, Omega says, uh, are we all connected? If so, how? Yes, I do believe that we are all connected. And I think it's because we all have that, that spark of the creator within us. And I think that's what links us all together. I mean, Carl Jung would call it the collective unconscious, but... Um, even if, if you look at the remote viewing data that the CIA finally declassified, you can find it uh, really just by Googling it. Blackvault.com has it as well. But if you look at their, especially their early remote viewing um, research, they, they show that all known data is out there. One of their graphs says that very clearly. All known data is out there because we are all connected. So there's been so much research that shows this. We're all connected. And I think that there are these energetic cords, kind of like umbilical cords that go out between us and anyone that, that we love. And so that's why I think if you, if you, like if you're, I don't know, driving around and, and you think about your wife and then she just calls you within five minutes and, and for no reason, not like, oh, pick up such and such at the store. I feel like because you guys have that connection of love, you tugged on that cord. Mm. And I think we can do that even in the dream state um, I have stories in there of people who have visited loved ones who live on the other side of the country and offered them comfort or just a shoulder to cry on. And, and the next day, that person that they visited in their dream will call them and say, I had the craziest dream where you came and visited me and I just talked to you and it felt mm -hmm. so great. Mm -hmm. And so I do think we're all connected. So people should not necessarily fear their dreams. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Even even the nightmarish dreams that we have are there to teach us. Mm. They really are. And I, I believe that about um, even just going beyond dreams. I believe that about all negative experiences really are just our teacher. I mean, look at the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell described or look at um, what's the original word for um Satan, it's advisor. It's um, I'm sorry, adversary, mm. right? No, he's so I think right? every negative experience is is really just to help us grow. Mm. By the way, earlier we were talking about children. Somebody in the live chat put it, it is called sudden infants. Sids. Sudden, sudden infant death, death syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sudden, that's exactly sudden, right. Sudden infant. Now it's sad. Sudden adult. <clears throat> and there's a reason for that, but we're not going to talk on this show because I don't want to get kicked off this program. But uh, um, if you're in a lucid dream, are you able to edit the dream until you get the outcome you want? Yes, you can. Um, again, it's not necessarily going to happen the first time you have that experience, 
but it does happen if you're able to consciously write about your dream during the day, talk about your dream. And then if you, if you have a negative experience in a lucid dream, you can, you can daydream during the day and think about how you want that dream to change. Um, I tell a story in there. It's a pretty well-known story, but there's a man has this lucid dream frequently where he's, he's running from someone and he's got this, this actual ball and chain around his ankle. So it's making it really hard for him to run from this person. And it's that, I don't know if you've had those nightmares where what's going on isn't so scary, but you, you feel so terrified. And so he talks about how he just, he knew this person was going to catch him and kill him. So he worked with the, with the therapist and, and she helped him reframe the dream and, and reprogram it. So eventually, when he had that dream again, he was able to stop running and turn around and face the man chasing him. And it was himself. And he mm-hmm. stopped and, you know, the guy wasn't holding a knife or a gun or anything scary. It was him. And he said, oh, thank God you stopped running. He said, hold on, I've been trying to do this for months. And he kneels down and pulls out a key and unlocks the ball and chain. And he realizes that that the ball... Um, connected to the chain around his ankle said worries and he said now we're good to go and and he woke up and he never had the dream again Hmm. Uh, in in the book of Daniel there's this king named Nebuchadnezzar who had his dream and he really wanted to know what what it meant and so he asked all his soothsayers and he killed a bunch of people he's going to kill them all All, okay all all, all the prophets and everybody says somebody's going to tell me this dream or you're all going to be dead well Daniel was able to interpret his dream so I'm wondering, and we had we had those scriptures up earlier about God giving dreams. Do you think it's kind of built in that some dreams you you will not know until you ask tell somebody else that dream? Yes, yes. And sometimes people, you might have had this too. Sometimes you can share a dream with someone, and it's not even until you give voice to it that you realize, oh, <laughs> it's so obvious to you. But sometimes it's not until you realize it through talking about it and sharing it or just having it someone else's perspective. Um, but I think you have to be careful who you talk to your dreams about, right? I know like in my my family of origin, like my my parents and my sisters, I used to always talk about my dreams and they'd roll their eyes and be like, oh, here she goes again. So I had to find friends who were also into dreams mm-hmm. that I could talk to about mm-hmm. it. But yeah, I do think I do think that that's really important. Well, see, that's the way I am with Bigfoot, man. You just can't tell everybody about Bigfoot. You got to got to find people that understand that he's out there and they're running in packs, man. I mean, they, they, they so you know. But yeah. I think I think there's portals. Well, there you go. I think they come through portals. I think they do too. They certainly they because they certainly have nothing to do with dreams. But look, there are footprints that just stop. And disappear. Yeah. So it looks to me like they're going through portals too as well. I'm wondering if we could go through a dream portal. Somebody just asked the question, can we create a dream body? I guess that might be sort of an astral projection type of question. Can mm-hmm. our dream person go out and do things? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I have some stories in the book about that. There's um, one story that I didn't put in the book. This, this woman was uh, trying to take a nap during the day and and she couldn't fall asleep and she just she popped out of her body and she was so shocked you know and she's looking at her body and I think she was 48 50 and this was like in the 1930s so she had no Botox or filler and she's looking at her body and she's like wow I'm really getting older and she she goes into the bathroom and she tries to turn on the light and her hand just like a ghost goes through the light switch 
but she realizes that her body's glowing. And so she looks in the mirror by the glow of the light and she's a young woman again. And her hair isn't, you know, salt and pepper with, with gray is beautiful, thick and luscious. She's no ring. She's like, Oh my gosh, I have to go show my husband how beautiful I am. <laughs> and so she rushes out down the hallway and this woman that she'd never seen before, who was also see-through and glowing, stopped her and said, no, you have to go back to your body. And I just found that such, that was with the, um, oh gosh, the psychical, the Society of Psychic Research um, mm-hmm. recorded that story. But yeah, there's a lot of stories of people who astral travel either consciously on purpose or spontaneously in dreams. And again, it's like the near-death experience where they appear younger than they are in real life. Mm. Well, what you don't want to do is dream about a fire because you could spontaneously combust, and that wouldn't be a good scene right there. Um, Jade asked the question, do you practice dream interpretation? Um, I don't know if I practice dream interpretation, but I always I always try to listen to people's dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like you're a better person? You have this book we have in our background here. Um, do you feel like you're a more rounded person by pursuing dreams and dream activity? Um, I don't know if I'm a better person, but I will tell you this when I don't like during COVID, I had a very hard time remembering my dreams, that whole lockdown period. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't do well with that. I, I need to get out and go to the gym and extra. I just, I needed, I need to go out. And so being home was very hard for me. And I had a hard time remembering my dreams and it made me feel very disconnected from myself um, and from really my my spirituality i mean certainly going to church helps me feel that but there's something Mm -hmm. about these dream experiences that makes me feel like i do go home at night and it makes me feel very um connected and and whole and centered again Mm -hmm. do do you go to church a lot of meaning and purpose do do you go to church now yeah i do i just i don't i don't tell i'm i'm catholic i don't tell my priest necessarily uh, uh, what uh, i do uh, Oh, I give. I guess I said that Mary thing. I hope I didn't offend you on that one. Oh, not at all. Gosh. But you already no. knew. You already knew that, though. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, so you don't find that dreams and dream interpretation and trying to remember dreams conflicts with any of your religious teaching? Oh, please! Everything I do conflicts with my religious <laughs> I mean, I love to do yoga. I love. I'm a Reiki master. Um, in the in the Catholic Catechism, that's all a no-no. So mm-hmm. everything I do is is against my church's teachings. But you know, there's a lot uh, there's a lot that that you could say that the church does that's against itself too, right? So, yeah, I, I was I'm glad you said that because I was going to say there's a couple no-nos that they they got going on too. Yeah, I just I go there because it's what I know. It's the continuity of it. Um, I love that it's the same words that have been said throughout the centuries across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm very open to all different faiths. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something beautiful in every single faith. And you just have to find the one that speaks to you. Um, we, we, we were talking about the, the hole that appears to be in, in, the, in the body. And I, I suggest it's a spiritual one. Uh, do they ever tell you at your church that Jesus fits directly into that hole? Um, yes, but we, we focus so much on, on the saints as well. And, and our guardian angel, there's a lot of talk about your guardian angel Mm -hmm. being with you and filling that hole, Mm -hmm. um, and the saints intervening for you. So we do differ a little bit in that, but definitely Jesus. And our, our priest was just saying a couple of weeks ago in his homily, 
you know, don't forget wherever two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. And so he was talking about the the power of communal prayer. And I think there is something really important about that 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 helps fill that hole when when you pray together. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Samantha Faye, we're right at the end of the broadcast. So where can people get your book? Um, well, I hope you can find it anywhere books are sold. And it's it should be in most bookstores. If not, of course, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's at Target. Um, you can get a signed copy on my website, samanthafay.com. Okay. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, my final two words is dream on. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you so much. 